That's my girl. Constance Hall, one of the most talked about bloggers in the country. A look out! Opinionated, raw, thought-provoking, and never shy to have an opinion. Annalise is her best friend. The yin to her yang. The gale to her Oprah. She's the chic one. Just ask her. A show for queens, by queens. No topic is too taboo. A shame-free, judge-free space. Oversharing, commiserating, and celebrating. This is the Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. Come on, girls! And last night, Annalise and I were lucky enough to be at our very own red carpet event. You see, we don't get invited to red carpet events, so we create our own. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this is a very chic one in Byron Bay. Uh, and it was for the most beautiful documentary uh, that starred yourself, Constance, and your trip this year to Kenya to visit your beautiful Rafiki Mwema kids. A trip that Annalise would have come with me on, but mm. I am terrified she's going to try and steal my children. I know. I want to take so, them <laughs> <laughs> It's a big no-no. So if she you have- ain't no Angelina Jolie. <laughs> If you if you if you're not familiar with Rafiki Mwema, they provide safe homes and help rehabilitate and heal the trauma that boys and girls in Kenya have faced, and they work with the authorities uh, to ensure the cycle of abuse is broken. They house, educate. I think they may be Kenya's only therapeutic home, so they work with the therapy. They actually really change the mindsets of these poor children who have been taught that they are nothing but a prostitute or a sex. These children, when they come to Rafiki, believe that they are put on this earth to provide sex for men, which is just heart-wrenching. Yeah. So the documentary really delves into that and it delves into what Anne-Marie and Sarah Rosborg have spent their whole lives doing with these kids and it's it's sad and it's happy and it's it's everything. Yeah, well we're gonna we'll share the the trailer on our Facebook page now. You can head to the Queen Sesh Facebook and have a look. Um but Con you personally, I know you don't like to brag, but you have raised how much? Like in the hundreds and thousands of dollars personally you've you have put towards this charity. I think around we're around five hundred thousand. Okay. We might be a little bit more. Okay. That's just a, um, nearly nearly to the mill, maybe next year. Yeah, and I can't take full credit because it's a combination of donations from my label book and, um, big crowd funds that we do with, um, through, that I do through my page. So yeah, I love it. It's the best part of my career, the most rewarding part of my career by far. These kids, man, like when you meet them and you see how much they love you and appreciate you and, you know, you got these 17-year-old boys decked out because, you know, these kids take a lot of pride in their appearance. African people are very different to Australian people in that way. Like they would be so embarrassed walking around with no shoes on like I I walk around with no (laughs) shoes on, you know. So, yeah, they're cool as they all want to have selfies with me and they think that I'm something that I'm not, which I'm quite happy to just let them believe. You yeah, know? They, like, I think they actually think you are the queen. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they're like, how famous are you? And I'm like, dude, I can't, I have to get helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we also thought it's a nice reminder as well. Like if you want to get someone a beautiful selfless gift, uh, you can sponsor a child. Or do you know what I'm going to do this year for my Chris Kringle? I'm going to ask for someone to donate on my behalf because that's oh, the, the greatest gift is to, to give to others. And that's what 
It's Absolutely. all about. Absolutely. And we have, my family has something that we call Sponsor Sisters. And so we, my daughter sponsors a sister instead of a child. And um, she loves it. She'll do some jobs for me around the house. And that's her pocket money and that's where it goes. And I love it. I just think she loves it. She gets photographs of her sponsor sister. There's no hierarchy. I'm better or I'm richer or I'm this or I'm that with kids. It's all just very much like we're connected. You guys need the money. We've got the money. You draw better than me. I, you ride horses better than me. You know, like it's really just like this friendship, like you expect from two children from the same country. So, if you wanted to introduce that into your family, a sponsor sister for one of your children, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, we'll share that information now on our Facebook page. Search the Queen Sesh. Uh, and if you are in immediate danger, please call triple zero or for support, reach out to one eight hundred respect. It's the Queen Sesh. This is the Queen Sesh. Helping the Queens of Australia out with some life advice. This is Queen Vice. And Con, we've actually had a Queen message us on our Facebook page, The Queen Sesh, because she's seen that you are bringing out these beautiful diaries for teenagers, teenage girls. Can you tell anyone who hasn't heard of this, What tell us about your diary? Uh, so the diary is a, it's aimed at teenagers it is appropriate for pre-teens and post-teens, depending on their stage of development. So I have collaborated with an amazing artist, Nicoly Payne, and I've used my incredible editor, Kato Reedon, to put together this really gorgeous book. It's really, really pretty, and it's just a month-by-month guide for young girls uh, during these really confusing years, really confusing times, um, it focuses heavily on the revolution. It's basically called the Year of the Queen, Welcome to the Revolution. The revolution of women and girls not being bitches anymore. We are not being competitive. We are, it's about the sisterhood and it's about cherishing each other and being, and, and recognizing how lucky you are to be a woman in 2018 where the, the way has kind of been paved for you now to march down that road and be glorious. As I said, heavily focused on connection with other girls. Mm, I'm also here, I'm looking here, it's bullying, uh, personal health, consent, sexual orientation, what to look out for in abusive relationships. This is the kind of stuff, like, I wish I'd had this as a teenage girl. I think it's so cool you've done this. Thank you, thank you. And it's it's sort of the things that parents really naturally would not want to be talking about with their teenagers, which is what this this queen who's messaged us has asked. She said, how can I start these conversations with my kids without them switching off immediately? You know, like mum mum starts to talk to their teenage daughter about sex. They go, oh, yuck, gross, stop talking. How, do, how, do, how does she break through that? Just break through it. Just don't let them block their ears. <laughs> That's in my opinion. I'm no expert. So I love the idea of giving them the knowledge that they need to know. You need to know about sex. You need to understand that herpes are forever. You know, you need to, <laughs> these things need to be told. And then the rest of the stuff that are gonna, that is going to make the kids squirm, like I really hope my daughter goes to you. I really hope that she has that relationship with you where she can go, oh, Artie, Annalise, this and this and this happened, and you will never make her squirm. Yeah. Just like I will probably never make Freddie squirm. Yeah. Your beautiful son, because, like, your mum doesn't make me squirm. And 
my mum makes me cringe Still, to this, to to this, this day. day. Yeah. And you love it. And my mum's mm. always said to me, I feel like Annalise was more my daughter than Annalise you. just gets me. We have more in common. <laughs> but it's because she's we have this bi- biological squirminess. Cringe factor. So cringe you've factor. got to have other women that are close Absolutely. that your kids can go to. I totally believe you need to arm them with knowledge. You need to make sure they know that they can tell you anything at all and you're not going to get angry you're not going to judge them you, you know keep that line of communication open but also have other women that's what the village is this is welcome to the revolution this is the tribe have other women around them that they can talk to as well let your children watch you talk about sex and and all the uncomfortable things with your friends. I love it when my kids eavesdrop while I'm talking to you about my relationship and my sex life and my body and these sort of things because that opens up a language and I really think that then there'll be a time where she can then talk to you. Yeah. It's not all, you know, safe for the dolly sealed section as that was kind of the only thing we had when we were growing up. Yeah. And man, you loved the sealed Didn't section. Didn't we just? Um, oh, my God. Do you know that we used to read it in an American accent? <laughs> <laughs> like, we didn't need to talk about that here. Why were we so weird? I don't know. Uh, we, you can absolutely find the uh, information how to buy this beautiful diary for teenage girls and preteens on our Facebook page. The Queen Sesh, that is us for another week. Thanks for Thank listening. Thank you. And thanks for that little plug. Plug of the old diary. Anytime, really... babes. I'm, yeah. I am literally your walking Chris Jenner. <laughs> you actually are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is the Queen Sesh. Con, the stats are telling us that plastic surgery is on the rise for men. And to take us through the who, what, why, we are joined by Dr. Ross Fahadia. He's an internationally renowned cosmetic plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Welcome to the Queen Sesh, Dr. Ross. Thank you for having me. So how common is it for men to get work these days? It's a lot more common than you'd think. Probably close to 20%, so one in five of my patients are men. One in five. Right. Mm. So are mm. we just talking about your average jab or... Yes. Yeah, just the Botox, the Mm. fillers, or are they having, Um, like, their man boobs removed? Generally, all of these procedures are divided into non-operative and operative. So Mm. a lot of people, actually, probably more than 20% of people now have um, non-operative treatments, Botox and fillers and things like that. But for the surgical interventions, so rhinoplasties, man boobs, body lifts and things like that, uh, that's definitely 20% of our... um, surgical patients will come through the, the doors. One in five. Okay, and what about, what percentage of those would be heterosexual men? Uh, the vast majority, actually. I know there's a preconception of, of this uh, amongst uh, a lot of people, but actually the vast majority of people who come seeking plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery advice uh, in the men's uh, group are, in fact, uh, heterosexual. Right. And what about demographics? Like, are they your tradies, your corporate guys, your sort of TV guys? Sort yeah, of- good point. Look, it, it's really, I mean, I, when I first started this, I thought it would be a specific group, but actually it's spread across the group. So we've had tradies who've come in to have rhinoplasties, um, younger men who've come to have their man boobs fixed. We've had older men who've come to have their eyelids done and their facelift. Sorted. So it's really across the uh, the spectrum. The main get the main, I guess, exception is 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 
what they have done is is age related. So older men generally tend to come in for their necks and their faces and their eyelids. Younger men tend to come for their noses and the rest of their body, if that makes sense. Right. And when the guys are asking for, say, Botox, are they more likely than women to be like, oh, you know, don't make it as obvious. I want some character. Yeah, actually. And and (sighs) part, part of the art of it, Operating on a, on a man as opposed to a woman is actually making sure that it doesn't all look too sculpted because one of the feminine characteristics is looking very sculpted and, and clean and neat and all those things. So for men, for example, when we do the, whether it is rhinoplasty or Botox or um, facelift surgery, we make sure that we maintain some measure of character so that it looks natural. Uh, with women, it's less obvious. And I think part of that is also related to the fact that you have the benefit of being able to wear makeup and foundation and things like that as well. Mm, just to sort of dull that plastic sheen you can get in the photos for the filler. Exactly That's right. Yeah, exactly oh, terrible. Right. <laughs> uh, do you look at the TV and as a internationally renowned plastic surgeon, just look at the blokes, you know, like the newsreaders and the footy commentators and can you sort of see the work they've had done? It's part of the territory. I think it's like when you when you're a waiter and you go to a restaurant, you can't help yourself but to actually have a look at the mecha- uh, the mechanics of the restaurant. And as a plastic surgeon, especially you know because I do a significant amount of facial aesthetic surgery, I can't help but to actually look um, to see what people have had done. So you know, I'm often sort of going, oh yeah, right, this looks like mm-hmm. yep, they've had this done and they've had this done, and I wonder what that is. You know? Yeah, I see. I reckon so. I reckon most of the blokes on telly would have had something done. Get something. I reckon. Yeah, I think... Don't um, you think Dr. Ross? Uh, do, you, do you know Dr. Oh, Ross? Well, it's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was sneaky. I you know, right? Me. I nearly got you. <laughs> you almost got me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, Dr. Ross, sure. thank you so much for lifting the lid no on men and plastic surgery. Thanks, Dr. No Ross. No worries. Thanks for having me. This is the Queen Sesh. Relationship virgins, a new buzz term that's been flying around this week. It's a new movement where people are owning their singledom, so really breaking the stigma that you need to be married to be happy. And we are very fortunate to be joined all the way from the US of A by social psychologist Dr. Della DePaolo and author of Singled Out, Debunking the Ten Myths of Singlehood. What is the most common myth about singlehood? Oh, there are so many. But one of the main ones is that everyone who is single is just desperate to get married. What they want more than anyone else is anything else is to go from being single to becoming coupled and then becoming officially coupled. So that's one of them. And I think along with it, I miss such as, oh, single people aren't happy, they aren't healthy, and if only they'd get married, they'd magically become blissful, healthy couples. Well, I think as well, if we look at, you know, fairy tales and, uh, you know, the, the princess complex, and even more sort of, if you look at romantic comedies, every single end game yeah. in those movies is really to, to get the man and get married. I I can it see is. it's so tiresome. But I, I do I do think I think we're moving away from that. Would you would you agree? I hope so. Yes, I think we are seeing more different kinds of things. We see friendship getting some of the the attention it deserves or even gets some 
acknowledgement that solitude can be a wonderful thing. So there is some some small progress in the direction of realizing that there are so many ways to live a full, happy, complete, joyful life other than getting married. Yeah. I Con and I actually grew up together, so we lived, we, we call our single oh. days like our glory days, you know, when you're 18, you're in your peak, <laughs> and we were both single and going out, but when I when I reflect and think back, so much of that time was spent, you know, checking the phone, waiting for a guy to text, I wish I, I wish I'd sort of future me had come in and sort of shaken me and said, enjoy this, this is fun, like what, what sort of things can people do to really embrace and appreciate single life? You know, you think about anything that you wish you could do. Uh, when you're single, just do it. And, and that's interesting that you ask because one of the things I've been asking other single people is to tell me what they would do or what they have done in their life because they're single that they could not have done or would not have done if they were married or in a committed relationship. And they tell me about you know, great adventures that they take or, you know, one person traveled around the world and some people just uh, follow some interest that they always cared about. There are people who um, leave a perfectly good steady job to risk going off and doing something that they care about even more. What do you think are the things, uh, obviously, you know, you, you would have heard all the most annoying things that people say to you. For someone who's listening, who's in a couple, who's married, who have single friends, what are the things that we should not be saying to our single friends? <laughs> um, offering to fix them up as if they're broken. <laughs> Make sure you find out first whether, whether they're interested or whether they actually like them so single lives because a lot of them really do. Another thing people say is just threatening them with them. Oh, don't you realize that you're going to grow old alone? Are you going to die alone? And my answer to that is, well, what I mean by that is I love living alone. So if I were to be able, able to have the health and well-being that allowed me to live by myself for the rest of my life and not have to like go into an institution or live with somebody else and actually die living, still living in my own place. Wow, that would be wonderful. We're going to be sharing your book on our Facebook page, The Queen oh, Sesh. It is singled out and it's debunking the 10 myths of singlehood. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for having me. This is The Queen Sesh. Con, you are a co-sleeper. Oh, yes. I love it. From love, birth love, and love beyond. It. Mm-hmm. Why not? So a mum's net user sparked this massive debate online this week because she posted, is it just me or is it creepy that my partner's ex sleeps with her nine-year-old son? Is it just me or is it creepy that she's so invested with what her partner's <laughs> ex is doing in bed? Yeah, well, a lot of the people did actually comment on that and say so I think there's yeah. other things at play here. But it got me thinking about co-sleeping. Where's is, is there a cut-off? Do we think right. it gets no, inappropriate at a, a certain off. age? No. When I met my husband, Denim, his son was still in bed with him at 11. Mm. And everyone is different. Everyone wants to move out 
in their own time. I had my kids with me and it's a give-take. Your children sleep with you because they want the comfort and because you want the comfort. And there comes a time when they want their space or you want their sp- your space and it's very natural. Mm, and in a lot of other tribes, it is actually normal. Everyone all sort of sleeps together. <sighs> I think I'm too selfish to be a co-sleeper. <laughs> I like my space. You know, I don't like being kicked in the ribs. I don't like sharing a pillow. So my daughter, Billy Violet, isn't allowed to sleep next to me. Mm. She's def- She is the worst sleeper on earth. Arlo's been between us since day dot. And when I got my new husband, because he wasn't the biological father and there was a bit of um, controversy there, we decided that he would... That um, the kids had to move out of my bed. That was just the way it was. If anyone ever woke up scared, they were welcome to jump straight back in. But mm. we, they had to go. And it was a really tough transition, but it ended up being really good for Arlo because he was really clingy to me. And now he's formed other attachments, mainly to Billy Violet, the poor dear. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's where I reckon it becomes problematic around like primary school. If the kid cannot sleep alone, I don't think there's a creep factor. I think it's more, you know, do we want to have our kids be able to be independent and sleep in a bed without us? I don't think it's got anything to do with primary school. It's, you know, do you really need your children to be that independent? I just think they're children. If they want to be with you and you want them with that, with you, then I'm so tired of going against my natural mothering instincts because I'm being told that I'm making a rod for my own back. Or, <laughs> you know, my son Raja has been the easiest baby I've ever had. He's a dream boat. He feeds me once, twice a night, but I didn't even wake up for it. He's just suckling away. And it's because we just went, my husband and I have absolutely exactly the same morals. We have the same ideals as parents. And we both wanted him there with us. There was just no fight in the natural desires. Well, we want to hear what do you do? What do you think? How old? If, is there an age? Is there a cutoff for co-sleeping in your opinion? 13, 10, 60, we'll be taking your calls next. It's the Queen Sesh. This is the Queen Sesh. Just before, Con and I were at a bit of a loggerheads about co-sleeping because I'm sort of of the opinion where I think it gets to a certain point and, you know, kids should be able to sleep on their own. And Con is very much... The, the nature, the, the, the tribal, that at any age, it doesn't matter, they, they should be in your bed. So we wanted to hear from you no, guys. No, I'm not. <laughs> Do not put words in my mouth, Anna. Oh, okay, then what are they, Constance? I am very much each to their own. Oh, I, I, didn't, am... I didn't mean as a mandatory, I meant you're open to it. Yeah, I'm saying if you want to be on your own, be on your own, but if you're happy with the baby in bed with you, have the kids in bed with you. You know, I'm about like letting your natural instincts guide you and direct you. You're going, oh, oh my God, I just want to be alone with my husband and have the baby in the cot. And well, no, blah, blah. I was, I wasn't talking about babies. I was saying at a certain age, I think kids should be able to sleep on. You their were own. talking about babies, and you also had that voice on. Well, I was talking about older children. I think that they should be able to sleep on their own and have security of being on their own. In, within and I think that's a great gift to give a child the ability to self, self-soothe and self-settle. I completely am with you on that. But it's not always a necessity. Sometimes it's just where everyone wants to sleep. 
to, as you can see, we, we, we cannot come to an agreement. We've taken it to the Queens. Lulu from Canberra, what do you think, co-sleeping? Is there a cut-off? Where do you sit um, on it? Well, I have two younger children and two older children. So my oldest is 18. She obviously has her own bed by now. But every now and again, she does help in with us. I still, I probably wake up with my two younger children almost every day, but they go to bed in their own beds most nights. But I love my that my 18-year-old still wants to have a snuggle every now and again. It's so sweet How that beautiful. she wants to do that. Absolutely. But she can sleep on her yeah, own is the point. absolutely. She can <laughs> sleep in her own bed. Of course, Definitely. Can. she has the ability. 18, yes, of but I love you know, like I just there's no other time that it's just you guys, and it's just really nice. I would never jump in bed with my mum and snuggle her now. No, and sleep with her now. But we co-slept my mum and me for a long time. Yeah, I do. Yeah, know, I, just, and I did with my mum and my sister as well, actually, for a long yeah. time. Oh, your mum! When your mum and dad broke up, your mum used to break in to your dad's house to cuddle you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so funny about it. <laughs> uh, Carla from WA, co-sleeping. Is there a cutoff? What do you think? My daughter's fourteen, and we still hop into bed with each other, like. Especially if Dad's away for the weekend, like kids, come on, get in, let's have a snug, and yeah, mm. we just love it. It's great. I love it too. Oh, I love yeah. it when me and my husband and have a fight, <laughs> and he goes and sleeps with his sons. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> I bring yep. my kids into my room. It's lovely. Oh yeah, we do that as well. <laughs> yeah, they smell good. They're just oh scrumptious. My auntie Lisa works in child development. She's been doing it for over twenty years now, and she she is the head of OSHWA. She is, you know, very, very overqualified, three degrees. She said to me that when she started doing what she was doing, she thought my mum was a freak because my mum was kids in beds, all the co-sleeping, all the attachment parenting and all that stuff. She was all about studies prove kids need to know how to be on their own. They'll be happier. You'll all get more sleep, blah, blah, blah. She said to me, 20 years later, she wishes she could go back and punch herself in the head because she has seen the difference in the children who were I don't want to categorise attachment parented, but the difference in the children who were allowed to be with mum and who were allowed to have that connection and be as close as possible, she said they're so well adjusted and established now compared to the ones that were put in these strict routines and kept on their own and not. You can't do this. You have to. Mummy needs her space and you need to learn to be by yourself. She said to me, Con, like the proof's in the pudding to me. The kids are great kids. They're just really, really, really happy, well-adjusted children. So I always took that on board as, hey, maybe I'm doing something right. Mm, and I, my poor kids are probably going to end up in jail because they're jail. sleeping in their own beds. Def- Beautiful. Definitely jail. Good luck, just, children. Just, who sleep just a bit of mum shaming for your <laughs> Sunday evening. By Constance Hall. That's the Queen Sesh. <laughs> this is the Queen Sesh.